0: How many of you have watched the movies about the Lord of the Rings before? Oh, most of you have. In the final movie, you see w- and that Frodo and Sam are on the Mount of Doom, and Frodo's losing heart. If you know the story, Frodo is carrying the ring, and it's got to be destroyed. It's the source of the evil that's in the world, but Frodo is just about to give up. He's weak. He's collapsed. He's out of strength, he's out of courage. But his friend Sam, how many of you remember Sam Gamgee? You know, just Sam, just what a great, everybody needs a friend like Sam, right? Sam is there, he can't carry the ring for him. There's certain burdens that you carry that no one but Jesus can carry for you. There's certain pains and things that you struggle with that no one but Jesus can carry for you. But there are friends that can walk with you that give you courage, help you to hang on, and help you to believe and to know that you can make it. Matter of fact, Sam helps, he helps Frodo by helping him see that he can get back on the way to continue up Mordor to destroy the ring. I don't know if you've ever had those times in your life where you've just been so tired, it's not that you've gotten off the way, It's just that you've collapsed along the way. It's just that you've given up. Maybe you're like some men here from our congregation that become pastors that I remember one that I spoke to here at the back of the church that had been a pastor, and he worshiped with us for a while, and he shared with me one day, he says, I thought I was called to ministry. And I said, well, let's have coffee sometime and talk about that. So we went and we had coffee together and we talked about his call, we talked about his ministerial training and he ended up telling me, he says, I was just defeated, I didn't make it, it just told me about all the problems that happened and how that some people came to him and said, obviously you're not called to the ministry because you're not bearing any fruit. So I told him some stories he didn't know about missionaries who spent their life On the field with only one soul coming to know Jesus Christ. And yet today we remember William Carey as the father of modern missions. All that we do in the Assemblies of God springs out of one man's call over a hundred years ago. Because he went and spent his entire life serving in missions and only reached one soul. But that one soul did wonders for the kingdom of heaven. So we talked, we prayed, and eventually he got back on the road again, was introduced to our district superintendent and to our presbytery, and was credentialed again and having fruitful ministry. I could tell you that story in my life with pastors over and over again who've become discouraged and given up. I could tell you stories of friends of mine that have come alongside when I was about ready to give up and help point me back on the way, help me to, to encourage me and to fill me with strength and to pour into my life. So I wrote a question down for you today to think about, and it's not in your outline, but you might just want to write this down on the margins of your outline or maybe even in your Bible this morning. Do you have a friend that will remind you of who you are Do you have a friend that will remind you of God's call upon your life do you have a friend that believes in you even when you're going through a fruitless place or when you're going through a dry spell do you have a friend that believes in you that even when you fail and maybe make a tragic mistake do you have a friend that still believes in you and will come alongside of you and encourage you and help you along the way Everybody needs a friend like Sam. The man who wrote the first computer program for Fireman's Fund Insurance is a personal friend of mine, lives in Florida and retired now, but I led him to Jesus a number of years ago. We became very close, and I will remember when I was was leaving the congregation that I pastored then to go into district office where I would serve the next 12 years, there were some scandals that had happened in our community of a pastor who had had a tragic failure and reaching out and trying to build a friendship with him. One morning, Charlie and I were having breakfast together at the Cracker Barrel on Eisenhower Parkway and Interstate 475, the bypass around Macon, Georgia. If you're ever driving to Florida, look over to your left, driving south, and see the Cracker Barrel and remember this story I'm telling you because. This one story has done so much for me through the years. I'd asked Charlie to help me pray, and we were talking about this, and I'll never forget Charlie, this retired Marine, this man who was a multimillionaire, this man who had done so well in life, he reached across without any shame or fear, grabbed both of my hands in his hands in the cracker barrel, and said to me, Pastor, if you ever fail, if you ever sin, I'll be an even better friend to you then than I am now. Everybody needs a friend like that. Can you say amen? Everybody needs a friend that will come alongside and lift them up and not kick them when they're down. Everybody needs a friend that will come alongside them and comfort and not criticize them. Everybody needs a friend that will come along and encourage them rather than continue to bring defeat into their life. We've talked about friends so far in this series of messages I'm calling FriendFluence, that the influence that our friends have upon our lives, how that we become more like the people we hang out with and that we're close friends with, and how they influence and shape our lives. Last week we talked about the importance of building friendships with non-Christian friends, even people from other faiths, for how are they going to know what Christianity is about if we silo ourselves the way we do politically, if we silo ourselves and we never communicate and talk with one another and see one another as real human beings. But today I want to talk to you about the importance of having friends who share your faith and live out your faith. It's no secret, study after study has shown that men have far fewer close friends than women do. Men have golfing buddies, and when they golf together, they're together, and they're having fun, and they talk together. Men have buddies that they stand on the sidelines with and watch their kids when they're practicing football or soccer or t-ball or little league. Men have work buddies that they talk with around the cooler or on the line or have lunch with, but men aren't known for having close, intimate friendships. And when I read the Bible and I read about the life of our best friend, that I was very honest and transparent before you in my prayer to Jesus this morning, that still one of the greatest steps of faith for me to take is to look to heaven and call Jesus my friend. I'm used to thinking of him as my Lord and my God. I'm used to thinking of him as the one who took the punishment for my sins, the one who rose from the dead, the one that cast out demons, the one that the the universe can't contain him. This universe is constantly expanding because God is still doing something, and yet the universe and all of its infinity, as far as we're concerned, cannot contain God. And yet this God said to me, you're my friend wow, does that not blow you away? If that doesn't blow you away, then you haven't really taken to heart what it means to sing a song like, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our griefs to bear. What a privilege just to carry everything to God in prayer. Jesus is my friend. But when I look at the life of Jesus and I look at the stories in the New Testament and the Old Testament, I realize that I was never meant, nor were you ever meant, to take this journey alone. We were to make this journey together with one another. And that friendship, spiritual friendships are important to my spiritual formation. You have impacted my formation. You have impacted my growth. You have impacted me in so many ways that when I go home, I'm accused of being a Yankee sometime now. That is not a compliment the one thing you've not been able to get me to do is to call a soda pop. That just feels sinful and wrong. (laughs) But friends have a way of impacting and encouraging one another. On the evening of his crucifixion, Jesus met with his disciples in the upper room, and he shared so many things with them that it makes up about that one conversation with them makes up about one-fourth of the Gospel of John. Now think about this. This one conversation that Jesus has with his disciples makes up about a quarter of the Gospel of John. You can read about it in John 13 through 17. But then Jesus gives to them. He confers upon them the highest honor that you could ever give to somebody when Jesus calls them his friends. He shares with them his purpose. He shares with them his heart. And This week, I pulled out my old King James Version of the Bible. Now, there's a good friend. It's just reading the old language of the King James Version again brought back so many memories, and though it's not helpful for trying to communicate to a public that doesn't speak in 1611 King English anymore, it's still a comfort to me sometimes to sit down and read that and I went back and read those passages and where I'd underlined it even as a teenager and put question marks. Could I call Jesus my friend? Could I really refer to Jesus as my friend? And yet here I am, 68 years old, and it still blows me away when I read that passage of Scripture. And so even though I read it in the King James, I want to read it to you in a modern translation that can help so many of your friends as they come to know Jesus. And so I'm going to ask you to stand with me out of respect for the word of the Lord. And let's go to John, and let me read you this passage of scripture this morning. Jesus is talking to his friends, and he said, I've told you these things for a purpose, that my joy might be your joy. How many of you would like to leave here with the joy of Jesus today? Oh, man, I want that. And that your joy would be wholly mature. This is my command. Love one another the way I loved you. This is the very best way to love, the way Jesus loved us. Put your life on the line for your friends. And you are my friends when you do the things I command you. I'm no longer calling you servants because servants, they don't understand what their master is thinking and planning. No, no. I've named you friends or I call you friends because I've let you in on everything I've heard from the Father. You didn't choose me. Remember, I chose you and put you in the world to bear fruit, fruit that won't spoil. Jesus chose you for his friend. When he convicted you and brought you to faith in him, Jesus said, I want you to be my friend. He laid down his life for you. Look at your neighbor and just boast about it this morning and say, Jesus chose me to be his friend. Think about that. Jesus chose me to be his friend. Come on, victory. I mean, doesn't that just stir your soul? Jesus... Chose me to be his friend. Huh. Deal with that, Jack. Look at the devil and say, Jesus chose me and he kicked, he beat you up. I almost said something I shouldn't have said right there. He chose me to be his friend. Mm. And his fruit bearers, whatever you ask, whatever you ask the Father in relation to me, he gives you. But remember the root command. How many of you understand what he means by the root command? The root command means that everything else flows out of this. Love one another. Let's say it together. Love one another. It's amazing, Jesus, that as our friend, you chose us to be your friend. On the evening of your crucifixion, Lord, you looked at us. And you reminded us of what I want to remind your people of today. Love one another. Be good friends to each other. For it's in the name of Jesus I pray this morning. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated today. My father-in-law was talking to me one day about cars that drafted behind his big truck. I'd never heard that phrase before, drafted behind. He goes, oh, yeah. Race cars do it. He says even bicycle riders do it, like in the Tour de France. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you get behind. He says it's dangerous, but a car will get behind my truck sometime, and they get caught in just the right place, and the wind will pull them along, and he, they get better gas mileage is while they do it. And he says, if you're riding a bicycle, you can draft behind a friend, and these are his words: you can go faster and you can go farther without as much effort. Well, not that my father-in-law would have ever lied to me. I just didn't believe him. I said, well, let's go do it. He goes, well, it's too dangerous. I said, well, let's go down Interstate 475 that I was telling you about. It wasn't as busy then as it is now. And I want to do it. I want to feel it. I want to see it happen. And so I had a Volkswagen Rabbit. And really, they should have called those things Volkswagen Turtles. It was a diesel rabbit, and it got good gas mileage, so my father-in-law got in his big truck, I got in my little turtle, and we took off down Interstate 475, and he kept telling me where to get, where, Finally, I, and then I could feel his truck pulling me along, and these are the days of CB radios. Remember those? So we're talking back and forth. I was Skyrocket. He was lamplighter, just to give to set the whole scene, you know. And he'd say, Skyrocket, can you feel that? And I'd go, yeah. I'm, you're, it's like, he said, you're being sucked alone. He said, now keep your eyes on my taillights, because if I hit the brakes, you got to stop, or you're going to crash right into me. He goes, don't ever do this. Kids, don't try this without a professional driver with you like myself. So what happens is, is that... You want to be a pace-setting friend. You want to be a friend that comes alongside, and your friends go faster, they go further with less energy because of your friendship with them. And The scene I want to read to you now and the story I want to read to you now is about two friends like that that I mentioned in the very first message in this series, and their names are David and Jonathan. This scene takes place right after David had defeated Goliath. I mean, David was a shepherd boy. His brothers criticized him, and yet he came, and you know the story. He slung the slingshot. He hit Goliath between the eyes, chopped off Goliath's head. He encouraged Israel, and Israel rushed in and defeated the Philistines. You're very familiar with the story. But there's a part of this story you may not be familiar with. So let me read to you from 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1, and again from the message. By the time David had finished reporting to Saul, Jonathan was deeply impressed with David. and an immediate bond, Jonathan is the prince. This is Saul's son, the king. By the time David had finished reporting to Saul, Jonathan was deeply impressed with David. and An immediate bond was forged between them. He became totally committed to that David and to David, and from that point on, he would become number one advocate and friend to David. Jonathan was an incredible young man. Jonathan was an incredible prince. He was a brave man. he was a fierce warrior. If you go back to chapter 14 and you read the story of Jonathan, one night Jonathan and his his aide or his, 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 his companion, his friend, Jonathan and his friend decided that they would go and attack the enemy encampment because they had come against Israel. And so he told his friend, he says, You know, whether it's by many or by few, the Lord is able to deliver. He said, We can take these guys on. And so, however it happened, Jonathan and his best friend, they, they climbed this cliff, they scaled this cliff. Uh, they must have put their swords behind their backs so they wouldn't clang against the cliff. And they climbed the cliff. And when they began attacking the Philistines at night, it scared them so bad that they thought Saul's army had came out against them. And they scattered, even killing one another in their fear and their fright. Because David, because Jonathan and his friend, just decided they would do something for God that everybody else were to call ludicrous and silly and stupid, and so when I look at this story of David killing Goliath, and I remember how that Goliath would come out and taunt the armies of Israel. Remember that story? He would come out and he would mock the armies of Israel. He said, "Just send somebody out to fight me. Just send one." He says, "If you defeat me, we'll be your slaves. If I defeat you, you'll be our slaves." And Saul and his entire army, including Jonathan, did not respond to the belligerence of of Goliath. And I asked myself, how could this mighty prince, this warrior who took on an entire army with just his friend, how could he back down from this man called Goliath? But as you read the whole story, you'll understand why. His father, Saul, the king, never acknowledged him, never thanked him, never honored him, and even got so angry at him that he threatened to kill him. And if it hadn't have been for the other soldiers in Saul's army saying, no, you're not going to do this to, to Jonathan and to his friend because they've won a great battle for Israel and Saul backed down. I mean, you talk about a dysfunctional dad. You talk about a dysfunctional family. Saul was a very dysfunctional man. But what had happened was that Saul had so belittled his son that his son was broken in spirit, defeated in spirit, and forgot who he was, forgot the call of God upon his life, was crushed on the way. And then this young shepherd boy named David, you got to remember, he's not dressed in armor, this young shepherd boy named David comes out and takes Goliath on and wins because David gives all the glory to God. He said, you come against me with sword and spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord. God will certainly deliver you into my hands, and God certainly did deliver Goliath into David's hands, and when Jonathan saw that, he was reminded, in who God was and who he was and today I want you to be reminded of who your very very best friend is and who you are and who God is through our God we shall do valiantly can we give him a hand of praise this morning (laughs) hallelujah David kind of set the pace David reminded him of God's plan for his life Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 24 says, Some friendships do not last, but some friends are more loyal than brothers. Read that with me. Some friendships do not last, but some friends are more loyal than brothers. Think about that last phrase. More loyal than brothers. There are friends that God will give you in faith that are even more loyal to you than your family. And what I take away from this, the quality of friends is much more important than the quantity of friends that you have. The quality of the friendships you have is much more important than the quantity of friends. I'm not really impressed with how many, quote, Facebook friends you have. I'm not really impressed with how big your network is. What impresses me is how many close friends do you have? Friends that will encourage you the way that David did Jonathan. Friends that will stretch you the way that David did Jonathan. Friends that will be loyal to you in good times and bad. Friends like Sam that will not give up. And though they may not be able to carry your burden, there are certain things in life that nobody can carry for you but Jesus There are certain crosses in life that we are called to bear, but there are friends that can come alongside of us, and they will not leave us when all of hell breaks loose against us. And I think that's exactly what Tolkien was trying to get across when he wrote that particular story. Number two, be a faithful friend. Be a faithful friend. Jonathan realizes that his dad, the king, is set upon killing David. His dad is threatened by David. As a matter of fact, his dad tells him one time, he says, Jonathan, don't you understand that if David is successful, you will not become king? The people love him. The people follow him. Jonathan, don't you understand this? Jonathan's reply to his father is kind of like John the Baptist's reply to his disciples. It's not the same words that John the Baptist said to his disciples speaking about Jesus, his cousin, but it's basically the same thing where John said, I must become less and less, and he must become greater and greater. Friends rejoice in our triumphs. Friends rejoice in our successes and our victories. And what Jonathan realizes, his dad is dead set on killing David. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, Jonathan comes to David, and he says these words to him. Tell me what I can do to help you. Tell me what I can do to help you. I want you to look at your neighbor this morning, and I just want you to get the feel of this and say to them, how can I help you? Don't try to answer that, but how can I help you? Now, I know, now listen, I know if I come in and tell Becky that, all of a sudden, I'm gonna get a laundry list. So there are times I don't wanna say, how can I help you when I walk in the door? Are you going to leave me up here, guys, hanging? How many of you men know what I'm talking about? There's even some sons lifting their hands in this room. I know if I come in and say, how can I help you? I I know there are certain people in life if I say, how can I help you? But when you love someone, no matter what they're going through, you really want to help them. You really want to be a part of their lives. I called my friend Rabbi Asher Lopaton on sunday afternoon i said asher i'm so heartbroken i'm just so heartbroken I, I don't know how but tell me how i can help and we talked for a few minutes together and i called another jewish friend of mine how can i help nasher if you read my blog post earlier this week he responded that though they're devastated and they're grieving He is so thankful for the prayers of our church. He's so thankful for the prayers of Christians who are interceding for Israel and willing to help Israel at this time. It was a beautiful, beautiful statement that he made. But you see, love does that. Remember the root command? Love one another. Love wants to know how can I help, even though it's going to cost, because for for Jonathan to help David is going to cost him The throne for Jonathan to help David is going to cost him the kingdom. He's not going to be the king. For Jonathan to help David in the world doesn't look like a very good thing to do because in the world you step on anybody you have to step on to get ahead. The world may say win-win philosophy, but the world doesn't always practice win-win philosophy. How many of you found that to be true in life? But in the church, it should always be true of us that we're helping one another to win no matter the cost. And in the first message in this series, I said to you, it shows the depravity of the world and the misunderstanding of the world when gay leaders have tried to say or homosexual leaders have tried to say in the United States that Jonathan and David were were homosexual lovers because of the closeness of their friendship. It it, It reveals an abysmal, Ignorance of what the Bible teaches. It reveals a deliberate distortion of what the Bible teaches. And it especially reveals a deliberate distortion of the Old Testament word, hesed which is the word described for the love between Jonathan and David. Hesed is to the Old Testament what agape is to the New Testament. How many of you understand what agape is? You've heard that phrase before. Only about a third of you. I've not been a very good pastor if you don't understand that. So help me feel a little better about myself. How many of you have heard the word agape before? Oh, many more of you now. Agape is a is a self-sacrificing love. Agape doesn't try to get anything from you. Agape does for you whether you're going to do anything for me or not. Agape love is what Jesus did for us at Calvary. We couldn't die for our sins, but Jesus died for our sins. So when Jesus said, I call you friends, when he's going to his crucifixion, he's revealing agape love for us. What Jonathan is revealing to David is hesed love That same kind of self-giving love. When you and I sing, as we'll be singing in a few weeks here at Thanksgiving, Great is thy faithfulness, we're singing about the Hesed love of God. Those similes are drawn right from the Old Testament. When we sing that song here that we haven't sang in a long time, Oh no, you'll never let go. We're singing about the Hesed love of God. The kind of love that gives to us though we have nothing to give to him. Do you have friends like that? Friends that have stuck by you through the good and the bad? Do you have friends like that who have encouraged you when you've collapsed on the path? Do you have friends that even though years have passed and maybe miles separate you, you know there's still these hesed agape type of friends? Keith Elder, who's in heaven now, one of my best friends, when I moved to Michigan, Keith was in Montana, and we saw each other frequently. And as a matter of fact, he was scheduled to come and speak to our church, and, and he and Marlis were the weekend that he died, and it was such a brokenhearted time for all of us. Keith was just, to have known Keith was to have really known a great man, but to have a great friend as well. But I remember Keith telling me when I moved to Michigan, he said, "Dennis." I'm as close as the phone. If you ever need me, call me. I'll be on the next flight. Do you have a friend, a Jonathan friend like that that says if you ever need me, I'll be there? Austin Ferrer in the book, Glass of Vision, this phrase just grips me. I read it to several of you already this week because I wanted you to hear this and I wanted to see your reaction. But read this. follow this along with me. Does the reality of our friends not shine through our free emotional reactions to them? In other words, when we see someone that we love, we smile, we just genuinely reach out to hug or embrace or shake hands, do we see men most really when we let ourselves love them and even poeticize a bit about them? When we let our minds free to respond to them or when we take them to pieces with analytical exactitude. You see, a friend is not someone that you analyze, what can they do for me? A friend is not someone that you take apart like a project or a chemistry project or a business plan. A friend is someone that your heart just naturally responds to because you love them. In a few weeks, some of you who I love dearly, and you are part of my life, you will follow the call of the wicked one, and you will go to Florida during the wintertime, leaving me up here to face the gray skies by myself. I'll fall down somewhere along the way, and I'll be crying out, Lord, help, help, when will winter end? The snow queen has taken over, and you'll be laying in the sun, sending me pictures to make me jealous. I'm teasing, you know that. But you see, there comes those times in life where people go away and then when you come back in the spring and you hear the call of God, come home, come home. It's about getting hotter than Hades in Florida. Come home to Michigan. You'll come back and we'll smile. We'll gr- Some of you, you squeeze so hard when you hug and I love it because there's that free emotional reaction. We haven't seen each other for a while. So friends not only set the pace for one another, but friends also had that ability to encourage, but friends finally they speak faith into one another's life. You've got a voice in their life, you've you've you have you 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 have got their ear, you've got their heart. David is now on the run. This next story I'm going to read to you. David is on the run, and he's hiding in a cave from the king. And David is tired of hiding. He's tired of running. He's tired of living in caves He's hanging out with a group of of, of guerrilla warriors that are fighting alongside of him. He's not trying to harm Saul. He's not trying to attack Saul, but the reason he's running and he's with these guerrilla warriors is because Saul has never given up on killing David. If I can kill David, then I will still stay king. If I can kill David, I will thwart God's plan. Understand me this morning. Even though Saul knew God could not be thwarted, even though Satan knows that God cannot be thwarted his greatest desire is to defeat you his greatest desire is to kill you his greatest desire is to destroy you because of somehow or another he can cause you to give up on Mount Morador and not continue the journey the ring will pass on to somebody else who will use it evilly that's why we must have godly friends godly friends friends who encourage us to keep going when we feel like we can't keep going any longer? And David is about to give up, and Jonathan risk his life, risks death, because what he does, Saul would have seen as being a traitor. And he comes to David in Horish. So let's read this passage as well. One day near Horish, David received the news that Saul tell him I'll call back later. David received the news that Saul was on the way to Ziph to search for him and kill him. And Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. Encouraged him to stay strong in his faith. Look at your neighbor and say, stay strong in your faith. Vic, stay strong in your faith. Get it? Good. Barb." I see you praying by that pillar sometime, and you always bring me chocolate. I love you for praying and for chocolate, (laughs) but stay strong in your faith. Andy, stay strong in your faith. You're going to see things and battle things that I'll never see or battle, but I want to be a good friend to you. And, Hines, I know you never will, but if you ever sin and fall, I'll be a better friend to you than I am now. Stay strong in your faith. Dan, stay strong. Know that the God you serve is your very best friend. Then David, Jonathan says these words to David, David, don't be afraid. It's easy to say when you're living in the palace and I'm living in a cave. That's easy to say when my enemy is your daddy and he's the king. But Jonathan understands what David's against. But the reason he says, don't be afraid, is rich because he reminded him of his faith in God. It's our faith in God that gives us strength. It's our faith in God that calls us to fear not. What was Jesus constantly saying to us, Matt? Saying, fear not. There are 365 fear nots in the Bible. One for every day of the year. Don't be afraid. Well, one person got it. Don't be afraid. <laughs> Hallelujah. My Father will never find you. And if you're hidden in Christ the devil will never find you. If your life is hidden with Christ and God, the devil will never find you. You may get discouraged. You may get weary. But I am asking you, your friends are asking you, how can I help you? You are going to be the king of Israel. I will be next to you as my father Saul is well aware. So the two of them renewed their solemn pact before the Lord. Then Jonathan returned home while David stayed at Horesh. And one of my most discouraging moments pastoring that little church that is known as the Macon Miracle that had over a half a million dollars of debt at 24 and 26 and 27 percent interest and with 21 people in the church, including Becky and I, that's everybody. you just wouldn't believe the lawsuits. And I was at one of the worst points of my life. One of my best friends who was on staff at a mega church in America came to see me and to pray with me. And we went down into the basement because we didn't have a sanctuary. And there we prayed together on that cold tile floor. And there he put his arms around me and he said, Dennis, stay strong. God has sent you here. God's going to turn this thing around. And I will never forget how strong in my faith I felt. I went up to my diesel turbine and he went and got in his brand new Cadillac and headed back to his mega church. I was staying in the basement and he was going to the palace and I thought, it's easy for you to say that. Does anybody feel what I'm saying right now? It's easy to say that, but when you're the kind of friend that will stay there through thick or thin, then your friends know you can receive their word. I need friends like that in my life. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend, Proverbs 27 and verse 17. Friends motivate one another to not only be better, but to do better. Friends, motivate one another not only to be better, but to do better. I want to both be and do for the glory of God. Don't you this morning? I want to be and do for him. The righteous choose their friends carefully. Proverbs twelve twenty six. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. In our growth work this morning, before I pray for you, I want to give you a friendship test based upon this verse. Let's read, if you'll put it back up there, Proverbs 12, verse 26. Let's read it together. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. One more time. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Stand with me this morning. And you can hold your notes, already be up on the screen. Do my friends bring out the best in me or the worst in me? In other words, do my friends inspire me to be more Christ-like or do they inspire me to be more like the world? Do my friends help me to love my wife better? To love my kids? To love you? To love our community better? Or do my friends bring out those worse aspects of my nature of my life second question I'd ask myself is am I better or am I worse for being around them when I leave them I mean I have people that I know that are so interesting and so funny to be around <laughs> they're just fun but but The impact they have on my life rather than the entertainment value is kind of neutral. I'm neither influenced for good or bad. And I'll be honest with you. I want to be the kind of man, you want to be the kind of people that we bring out the best in other people. Do they motivate me to do more to do less? When I leave my friends, am I more committed to not only my marriage and my family, but the mission of this church to celebrate God's love by persuading people to become passionate followers of Christ? Am I motivated to be a passionate follower of Christ, to build friendships with lost people? Am I motivated to spend the time I need to spend praying and studying and writing as well as building relationships with folks? Am I motivated? I'm just talking about for me. You probably got a whole, you could have another whole set of metrics. Am I motivated to do missions? I've got a retired missionary friend. Good night. Every time I'm around him, I just want to empty our entire savings account and give to missions. He talks about the lost, those that haven't heard. And then in that weak, trembling voice, and we get together about once every three months because I need him in my life. He'll go, Dennis, Jesus won't come until every tribe and every tongue has heard. Once they've heard, oh, heaven's going to open and Jesus is going to come. I'm just telling you that, I get goosebumps all over me because I want to see my best friend Jesus and I won't lost people to know him. So, the secret to true friendship, I believe, is having a heart for God and finding someone who has a heart for God as well. That's the secret. Now, this is different than the friendship I talked about last week building people who don't, relationships with people who don't share our faith. But the secret to having the kind of Jonathan David friends we've talked about is friends that have a heart for God. The fourth thing I'd like to ask you to grow with this week is find someone that you can be a Jonathan to. Who do you know in life? Who do you know in life that you could sow the hesed, the agape love of God to? Who do you know in life that's like Frodo? is just down. And you can come along and encourage them. And you'll walk through them. Who do you know in life that... If they mess up, if they fall, if they sin, they'll take your, you can take their hands the way Charlie did mine. I said, Pastor, if you ever sin, I'll be a better friend to you then than I am now. Who can you be a Jonathan to? You don't have to find that person this week, but you can be praying about that. You can be open to that. And then finally, as we get ready for our friend day, ask God to bring someone into your life that doesn't know him. And that can become, and I love this phrase, an eternal friend. Say that with me. An eternal friend. Say it again. An eternal friend. Imagine spending forever with your friends in heaven. Imagine spending forever with your friends in heaven. Imagine that person in your life that they're the least likely to ever become a Christian. Their name is Saul, also. And unlike Saul the king, this Saul hates Christians so much that he puts them in jail. He murders them. I know a man like that here in our community. He won't even talk to me because he hates Christianity, he hates Christians, he hates me. But there's something he doesn't know. I talk to Jesus about him all the time. Because I see in him the Saul of the New Testament. I'm asking God to knock him off his donkey. I'm asking God to put him on the ground. Let a light shine at his heart so that he goes, Why are you picking on me, Lord? Because I want him to be an eternal friend. Can you say amen? Jesus, I love you, and I thank you for being my friend. Lord, I don't know how to explain this. I would be a liar and a hypocrite if I didn't mean what I'm going to say right now. But I say it before this church and to you. I feel closer to you after delivering this message. I feel that friendship, Lord, that closeness. And that just tells me one thing, that this has been your word for our church for this hour. What a friend we have in Jesus. Oh, no, you'll never let go. Great is your faithfulness. But you're also calling to some, Lord, saying, I love you. Come follow me. So, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to become a passionate follower of Christ, if you trust him to forgive you of your sins, whether you're watching online or whether you're with me right now in this sanctuary, pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I need you. I want you. I need a friend that will love me not for what I can do for them, but just because they love me. I need the forgiveness that you purchased for me at Calvary when you shed your blood for my sins. And even though I'm new to this, or even though I got discouraged along the path and just fell down. You have come and lifted me up this morning. So I commit my life to you. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. For it is in your name I pray. And if you prayed that, would you lift up your hand and say, Pastor, I prayed that with you this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, come on, Victory. If you prayed it online, would you let us know? that you prayed that online as well. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise this morning and thank Him for what He's done. Now may the Lord, who will be the best friend you ever had, bless you with friends that will meet you on the slopes of Mordor. And speak and encourage, help you carry your cross, even though they can't carry it for you. And may God make you the same kind of friend to those in Christ as well. God bless you. Go in peace this morning.